0: Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, dictate it as almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is Tuesday, August the 11th, 2009. This is episode, I think, dare I say I think 254 of the Survival podcast and uh we did something different yesterday we had a show uh with an interview with James Jaeger I think it went really good some audio issues just trying a new system to allow me to do interviews and uh I think I've got a different solution I'm gonna I'm gonna check this out kind of test it in the next couple days and if it works out I'm gonna try to do uh more interviews very very soon and I'll tell you why in a bit um Today we're going to continue with the new format I guess we should stop calling it the new format It has just become the format, which is an intro segment Where we talk about some stuff going on in current events, and we have our ass clown of the day And I guess until we find a better term for it Our hero of the day uh, Then we'll do our housekeeping, and then we'll get into our main topic Today, since we did a interview show On Monday, today will be our Listener question show, and i got some great Questions lined up, even one that's a Follow-up from the interview show yesterday So, um, let's see what we can Do to uh, to get things off to a run and start here. So who are who is the ass clown of the day? Well, today we actually have ass clowns of the day. Um, the first ass clown of the day is the United States Army National Guard. Now, if you're a troop, don't get upset. I'm not picking on you picking on the morons in basically your marketing and employment and recruiting departments. Uh, Most people have probably seen this story by now, but if you haven't, the National Guard recently ran a lot of advertisements on various job boards, and when they did this, they were looking for people that would be internment slash resettlement specialists. Let me tell you something, I don't have a problem with the Army National Guard or the Army or the Marine Corps or the Navy having an internment specialist. When you go in the military, if you break military law and become subject to the Uniform Code of Military Justice, uh, you can get a slap on the wrist or you can go to Army or Navy or you know Marine Corps jail. You can go to stockade. And you have to have somebody to run that facility. And... If you even are a civilian and you are apprehended by military authorities on a military installation for doing something that's legitimately illegal... Like you are breaking into a military facility. It is the military that will apprehend you and they will then turn you over to civilian authorities. Someone has to take care of that. The internment thing has been going on forever, though I think it is a stupid word. Okay, It's a dumb word, but it's dumb to like the second degree. You could have called it correctional facilities, um, you know, specialists or something like that. But no internment, which immediately makes the foil half brigade think of internment camps. Then there's the second word. This is the one that's dumb to the hundredth degree. Resettlement. Now I got to tell you, it makes me pull out a little tiny st- foil strip myself when I hear our Army National Guard looking for internment resettlement specialists. What Exactly, do you mean by resettlement? I actually want the uh, MOS overview video, and they didn't really talk about resettlement in it. I don't know. That stinks. So either this is something nefarious and malicious, if you have a foil hat, or at least are inclined to have an open mind toward the foil hat brigade, or... It's really, really dumb. Either way, it bothers me that the United States Army um, National Guard is either dumb or malicious. It's one or the other. And uh, if you are know anybody that's you know willing to speak on behalf of the officially on behalf of the National Guard and what they've done here I'd love to have them on the show and ask them some really tough questions about it alright next instead of going to my hero of the day right away I gotta throw in one more minor ask client of the day AARP in Dallas American Association of Retired People in Dallas they did an interview uh, or a town hall style meeting for their members uh, about a week ago I featured the people that showed up and didn't let them shut the meeting down and continued the meeting on their own as heroes of the day uh, they had three more meetings scheduled. Well, the Ask Clowns have now canceled all the meetings. They will be doing their meetings by teleconference, and you can only show up if you're invited. So if you're an AARP member, uh, these meetings to discuss federal health care reform, you're not allowed to show up or talk or speak or be heard if you oppose it ass clowns. You know what? The American Association of Retired People is going to see the biggest drop in its revenue in its history this year. I guarantee you that. Old people talk, they communicate with each other, and they get pissed off about stuff like this real easy. And even the people behind this thing that are older that would like to see this thing happen, and I think they're wrong, are going to get pissed off that their fellow seniors are not allowed to speak. So you guys are ass clowns, but good. You're giving yourself a death sentence. And in case anybody's wondering AARP is the biggest insurance company uh, for health insurance in the world. They're a front. Alright? They are not a, a nonprofit dedicated to helping out retired people. They are a front for insurance companies. Look it up, you'll see that I'm correct. Hero of the day, Mike Sola. Mike Sola, who took his son to a meeting, a uh, town hall meeting with a congressman, and showed up and said, hey, you know what, under your pr- proposed uh, insurance reform, my son doesn't get any, any help, any assistance, any coverage. He's not considered worthy. The congressman responded, we've added an amendment. We've added an amendment to address his needs. Okay, well, he should maybe be another ass clown, but we have enough of him today. But that's not why this man's the hero of the day. He went on Fox News, and I'll see if I can find the video of this guy and, and link to it. He might be a little bit later than when I actually publish the show before I track it down. But this is what he said. He said that if Nancy Pelosi and uh, Harry Reid and anybody else that was supporting this thing, through the con- the congressman, I can't remember his name, whose meeting he went to, thought that his son was un-American for a objecting to this, and that he was un-American for objecting to this, he would suggest they get on their high-dollar aircraft, their expensive private jets, and fly their ass to Michigan and say it to their face. And he also said that some of their goons had showed up at his house and threatened his family by leaving a message behind the night after this happened. So this poor kid has cerebral palsy and has dealt with cancer, is in a wheelchair, and because this man spoke up, some thugs went to his house and threatened him. This is what the man said on Fox News. I'm paraphrasing, but it's pretty damn close. I promise you, if you ever, first you said your message has been received, we've read it. And I promise you, if you ever come back to my property again and I ever catch you on my property, I will use any and all means, including lethal force, to make sure you never bother my family again. I will risk going to prison to make sure that you never darken my door again. And that's not exactly accurate, but when you hear what he said, it's not far off. Hero of the day, because this man has said, I will not be intimidated. Many people would have cowered under that. Bubble of intimidation. And I'll tell you what, sir, move down here to Texas and let somebody come in the dark of night putting a threatening message on your door. You won't even have to open the door here. All you have to do is use a weapon that will penetrate the door. And no one will hold you at fault for it in this state. That kind of threatening bullshit to a little kid. So whoever put that message on their door, you're an ass clown of the day, too. And there's a horrible little piece of me that hopes you 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 take this man up on his promise there's a horrible little piece of me that let me tell you and then I hope the state of Michigan isn't dumb and doesn't do anything stupid if you're dumb enough to trespass on this man's property at night all right so Let's get out of that. Let's get into the housekeeping. Number one, make sure you support our advertisers. Again, all of them are personal endorsements from myself, and they have been vetted by my moderators on the forum. If two or more moderators say no to a uh, advertiser, they can have a check in hand. I have to turn them down. That is a deal I made in the very, very early days when nobody even wanted to advertise here. On that note, we have two advertisers of the day today. Uh, MURS-radios.com, which will extend your ability to communicate. You do not need any kind of uh, license or permit to use their equipment. Uh, this is civilian uh, uh, frequency available to any and all and uh, really some cool stuff. Check out their site link in to today's show notes and SOE tactical gear if you want the very best uh, tactical gear you can get your hands on uh, check out John Willis's operation. Uh, he started out building custom orders for special operators and uh, now makes that available to any and all and it's the kind of stuff you'll hand down to your children and their children's children, it'll last that long. Uh, Next, if you haven't joined our forum, join our forum. Uh, Great people, great community, you'll learn a lot. And uh, next, if you think you get more than 25 cents in value out of the Survival podcast join the member support brigade and you'll get some exclusive content available only to members including over $64 worth of retail value uh, which will cover your first year. Uh, next, real quick, got to let you know about this. Dirt Time 09 is coming up. It's the 24th through the 29th. Big event from Wilderness Way. I'm not plugging it for them because it's been sold out for many, many days. Uh, in fact, I would say several months now. And uh, But I will be there as a guest speaker. It's in the San Bernardino area of California. California, and I'll be there for three days of it. I am making this my family summer vacation. Hence, the week of the 24th through 29th, um, I will not be here. I will not be podcasting live. Hopefully, this is what I said about the interviews, hopefully I can do three to five interview shows and sandbag those for you and still do my daily show and play those during the week that I'm gone. That's my hope. I'm going to try to do that. I've got about three good candidates lined up, we'll see if we can make it happen. Again, it's going to be a lot of work. But there may be an absence one or more or all days during that week. If so, I apologize, but everybody's got to take vacation at some point. And for me, this is even a working vacation because I'm going out there to speak. And that wraps up the house cleaning and the intro segment. So let's go in and start taking some questions. And uh, the first question that I got today is a guy that says... Um, that he's building a he wants to build a personal range. He's about to buy 18 acres in a very rural area of Florida. And he wants to build a personal range um, to practice shooting. The real estate agent assures him there's no problem with discharge of firearms at the location. If you haven't bought it yet, I would say call the local law enforcement and verify that if you're shooting under safe conditions on that piece of property that you're not violating any law. Don't take the real estate agent's word for it. Assuming that's the case, his next question was, you know, where does he go for permits or anything like that? Um, I don't think you need any permits. Now you might need a construction permit from your local authorities if you're building any structure that under your local authorities cold re- code requires a building permit. I would find out where the you know what the, the basic outline for that is. And frankly, if I had any way that I could, I would avoid needing a permit. Odds are since you're not going to build something attached to your home in most areas, you're not gonna need even a building permit. So because building Building a range is setting up targets and backstop, and you don't need any kind of state-level permit. This guy's saying, do I need any state-level permits or anything? So when he first asked, I thought he might be setting up a commercial range. If you do that, yeah, then you, I don't even know where to go. But you're going to need some type of additional, you know, government involvement. Uh, but if you're in a place where the neighbors aren't going to get upset because you're shooting, then pretty much what you're going to be doing is building up dirt berm backstops and uh, setting up the target, your targets of choice. He asked me, how do I ensure that I set up a safe range? And what you're going to want to do is find out, well, what's the heaviest caliber weapon you'll ever be firing there? What's its depth of penetration in earth? And build your berms at least three times wider at the midway point up the berms than that width. You do that. You're good to go. Uh, so it's pretty much you're going to be carving out some dirt and piling up dirt. Now, I don't know how elaborate of a range you want. If you just want a a range that's for, you know, a bench and uh, a target and you're going to be you'll move yourself closer and further away, you know, that's uh, that's pretty simplistic. If you're going to want to build like a tactical range with like mock-up walls and stuff like that and get real creative, um, you're going to have to really think about your backstops to a high degree. Uh, I would also suggest that when you do start practicing, you do a lot of your practicing with low power loads and a lot of your practicing with 22s, it's going to be less of an annoyance to your neighbors and cause you less grief long term, but uh, it sounds really cool and if you get it built up and I'm ever in Florida, hopefully you'll invite me to come by and throw some lead down range with you. It's hard for me to answer Answer that question um, specifically because I don't know what's around you. I don't know what the land's shaped like. For instance, I'm, I've set up a, a, little, a little range in Arkansas at my bug out location. Uh, my backstop is the mountain in, in, on the backside of the valley behind me at the end of my property. And uh, you know, I'm real worried about bullets going much further after they hit a mountain because um, it kind of goes up real steep. So I've got elevation that I can work with to create Uh, a natural backstop. Florida everything I ever saw in Florida was as flat as it could be unless some areas around like the rivers and all there might be some steep banks and all but mostly Florida's flat so you're going to have to build up those backstops. Uh, but I'll tell you what this is a great question mainly because it, it allows me to remind you if you think you're buying property where shooting's going to be okay talk to neighbors before you buy and talk to local law enforcement before you buy and make sure the discharge of firearms is indeed okay there. Please do not take the word of a real estate agent on something like that. Last note on that, one of the things that will um, tell you you're in the right place if you want to be able to discharge firearms in a a rural area is if you actually hear other people doing it and nobody's upset with it. That means it's generally accepted by the population. Uh, That would be an ideal situation. Next question, guys, says uh, what about preparing for bugging out as in getting out of the country? Um... That's up to you. That's up to you if you want to make those preps and have a plan to leave the United States. Personally, and this is personal, and this is one of these things I would never, so nobody get upset with me, I would never assign this limitation to another human being or fellow citizen of my nation. If you want to leave, that's part of America itself. That's part of what I'm willing to sacrifice for is your right to leave. But, if this nation breaks down, I'm not leaving. Um, I don't talk a lot about you know the, you know the patriot movements and things like that, but I'll tell you what: the day that this nation really breaks down and is in danger of perishing, that's the day I stand up and by whatever means makes the most sense for the situation, I fight. And I fought, I may fight by just continuing to exist. Maybe I'll fly by continuing to broadcast. Maybe, God forbid, the day will come where Americans are going to be called to take up arms in defense of liberty. And I hope the hell that never happens. And um, But if it does, it gets to the point where you're in danger of having armed people take over your home... Be they thugs of the civilian kind or thugs of the we are repossessing your property for the common good kind. Either way, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. So that's up to you if you want to make those preps, and I understand why one would. However, this person also said something like, "Well, you could buy a nice little lot in the Bahamas somewhere for about 80k and put a shipping container on it." Yeah, um, let me tell you, people in this country, way back in the backwoods. Uh, put in retreats and if they don't have someone that can actually keep an eye on it for you often have them raided including people that basically build them underground and cover them with rummage and, and rubble an 80k lot in the Bahamas is probably not going to be in an area with a security guard, if it is they're not going to let you put a shipping container there, so you're probably going to be on the part of the Bahamas that our uh, tourists never see and you put a shipping container full of goods there, they probably will not last a couple days after you leave, as soon as it's found they will break into it and they will steal everything they can and they will trash everything that they cannot steal that is because vermin walk the planet in the bahamas in france in america in mexico uh, in honduras in iraq in el salvador you get the picture i've been to a lot of countries and i've seen good people and i've seen dirt bags everywhere i go so I, I, that just doesn't work. But what might work, if I were going to, let's say, I wanted to be able to bug out to the Bahamas or St. Thomas or somewhere outside of the country and I was going to use the Caribbean as, a, as, a, as an exodus, uh, I would probably want to have something like a condo so that it's secured. And I know that, that kind of goes against the whole rural area type thing, but, folks, um, it's hard enough to keep a bug allocation safe with good neighbors five hours away. The Bahamas are an airplane or a boat right away. Uh, It's going to be harder to do, so it's just not the way I would do it. I'd also say I'm not big on, if the United States melts down, expecting the Caribbean to be in the greatest shape. I think it will have an overflow effect. It will definitely reach that far. You may want to look elsewhere. Dare I say it, one of the safest places uh, going forward may be the countryside in China. And I know that sounds insane. Um, And I know that there's a lot of liberties that you won't have there. But if you're willing to give up the liberties of this nation by fleeing it, um, there's no place left to go that's as free as we are. I'm sorry. And in some ways, nations like China are migrating toward more freedom than we have. We're swinging to the left, and these other nations that have failed with leftist policies are beginning to swing to the right. So those are just my thoughts on that. But me personally... Not leaving. I may move out to the sticks, but this is my country. This is my home. I served it in, in uniform. I serve it today as a civilian patriot, and I will not leave. And I will not go quietly into that good night either. Um, Next question is, if you overwinter, you know, I talked recently about things like just leaving some carrots in the ground or or turnips in the ground or things like that over the winter. And somebody said, well, in Texas, if you do that, do you have problems with fire ants? I haven't. I haven't ever had problems with fire ants taking any of my root crops at all. Uh, Not in the summer, not in the winter, not ever. Now, that said, overwintering in Texas for root crops is not the same as overwintering where it gets really cold, where you just throw a big pile of straw mulch on top of it, and it's basically a giant refrigerator. Um, you can't get away with it as, for as long a period of time. A lot of the root crops will continue to grow right through the winter in Texas. So for Texas, your overwintering is more of you can plant things later in the year and let them stay in the ground until you need them, but the things that happen where they get too big, etc., uh, will continue to occur in Texas. So it's not quite the same, but no, I've never had any problems with fire ants taking a carrot or a turnip or, any, or a root or, or anything like that, you could typically overwinter in the ground. Um, I have had problems with carrots getting way too big and having the bottoms basically rupture. They almost look like they're turned inside out, but that's simply because the carrot's been in the ground too long and allowed to grow past its prime. Um, a lot of times, if you leave them in the ground, they'll then split, and they'll look really funky the next year, and they'll go to seed for you, and you can allow them to go to seed. So if you get in a situation where you start pulling carrots and you notice that... Um, a lot of them are like that. You may want to indeed uh, leave a few of them in the ground. If you're up north, mulch them really heavy. If you're down south, you can pretty much just let it go, and uh, that root will spring off next year, and that's when you'll get your seed. And that's the same from things like beets as well. You get seed in your second year. That's uh, so a good question. Uh, next question. This is an easy one with an unfortunate answer for the person that asked it. Uh, can you grow avocados in Virginia? No. I'm sorry. Can't do it. Um, it's, it's almost impossible to get avocados on your tree in North Texas. You get the tree to grow. You get the tree to survive, but you don't. The winter always ends up uh, preventing the tree from actually fruiting and pro- providing any ripe fruit. Uh, that's much the same up in North Texas with uh, bananas. You can grow banana plants huge in uh, Texas, uh, North Texas. Way, 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 way big. But they need like 18 months to produce bananas. So the winter comes and kills them, and they are killed to the ground. And if you mulch the root system, it'll survive, and next year it'll come back, and they can make a great ornamental. Um, but I don't even think you're going to pull off an avocado tree as an ornamental in Virginia. Too cold, can't handle it, made for the tropics. You can, just for something cool, create a pretty cool avocado house plant. Um, by sprouting a, a standard avocado seed and uh, planting that in a, in a pot, but you're never going to, you know, unless you do something insane with, uh, d- you know, causing an avocado tree to be a dwarf and protecting it in a heated greenhouse or something like that, it, it's just not going to be possible. That's probably one of those things that you're better off buying, unfortunately. Uh, next question. Next question person is dealing with the same problem I am this year. They've got tomato blight. And uh, pretty much has done it in for them this year. And they want to know, well, how the hell do I prevent this nastiness from coming back next year? Well, I think this person was from further north than I am. So the nice thing about it is uh, this fungus that usually only strikes in the south, it struck in the north this year. Um, when when the ground freezes this year, it will probably kill it off, and hopefully you just won't have to deal with it naturally next year. For us down here in the south, we seem to be stuck with this thing in these really mild winters uh, from the global warming, uh, which, by the way, I believe the planet's warming, just not that we did it with our tailpipes. Um, but these mild winters are um, allowing this fungus to survive better through the winters. So there's a couple things that you can do. One, it's a soil-born fungus, and it can enter through the root system. So when you plant something in soil that has it, you're in danger of infection no matter what you do. That said... Upward splashing on the leaves and the stems will spread it. So by mulching heavily and using drip or direct irrigation methods and never uh, watering with overhead watering your tomato plants, you should help limit its spread. Okay, It will not prevent it altogether, but it will help limit its spread. So that's one of the things you could do. There are some antifungals that you can treat the plants with. There are even some antifungals that you can treat the soil with. The best antifungals for treating the soil, though, I believe require like an ag permit or something like that. So you may want to talk to like a local grower that's dealt with the problem and has the correct fungicide for it. Not all chemicals are evil, folks. And in this case, it's a fungus, and it's a very virulent fungus, and it needs to be killed, or it will keep coming back and destroying what you have. However, however and I didn't do this this year, and I planned on it, and I said, I don't need to. i got plenty of bed space. The fact that it is soil-borne can work to your advantage, especially as a small-scale home producer. Since it's soil born, if you go out and buy nice, neat packages of uh, black, topsoil, you know, potting soil in a bag and either, you know, cut a hole in the bag and grow your tomatoes in the bag. Just lay the bag somewhere on the ground and make it basically a tomato bed uh, and grow a plant or two per bag. Um, You're not going to get anywhere near the potential for infection. And at the end of the year, you can simply dump that potting soil into your bed and turn it in. It's got a lot of good uh, peat moss and other things in there for moisture retention. So that's one way. Uh, Or, you know, you do your upside-down tomato method with, you know, your your good potting soil into a pot with a hole in the bottom, but anything that you do that relies on soil from a store in a bag that's been sterilized, it's not going to be infected uh, with the blight. So, for a lot of home producers, a half a dozen or less tomatoes uh, are, are plenty for home use. Plenty. So it's pretty easy to set that up and use uh, store-bought topsoil for that, and that way you'll know you're not dealing with blight. What you can do then is plant several in that type of arrangement and several in the ground, and if the blight hits you, well, it's not as big a deal because you still have some diversity. The other thing is that hybrid varieties of tomatoes, not genetically modified. A lot of people get confused. They think all hybrids are evil. Not all hybrids are evil. They have a place. But hybrid varieties of tomato, uh, specifically Better Boy... Um, Uh, something bush. You can't think of the bush one. in Celebrity. Those three in particular are a lot more blight resistant. They're not immune, but they're more blight resistant. So what you might want to do, if you want to plant, let's say, Cherokee purple or or some type of heirlooms, grow your heirlooms in your containers and grow your hybrids in the ground. And if you get through a season with uh, no infection at all, not even a little bit of your hybrids, um, then you'll probably be safe going back to planting some of your heirlooms in the ground. But By dividing that up, it will help a lot. The other thing is don't plant your tomatoes in a big, giant bed with all your tomatoes in the same bed. Break them up because once you get one tomato infected in a bed, I promise you any tomato near it is going to get infected too. It's going to happen because that, that fungus is going to move through the soil and will infect the other plants. So there's the best I can do for you on that. Um, another person asked me, what about programs that forgive or write off parts of your student loan payments? I think he said he was $120,000 in student loan debt, 120 dollars And the, the new rules are if you pay 15% of your student loan, well, 15% of your income on your student loan for 25 years that After that, your debt's forgiven. But if you take certain government jobs, which is what he's likely to do, and work it for 10 years, they forgive the balance of your debt. But again, you're paying 15% of your loan for those 10 years. Um, If you're going to take a job in the government anyway then, you know, you're going to pay 15% anyway. You might as well do it. And uh, if you end up there for 10 years, it'll get written off. That said, the way you always make a decision that involves money is by running numbers. Let's say that uh, I could take this government job that would pay me $40,000 a year uh, for 10 years. And I just look at the advancement potential and say, at the end of 10 years, I'll be making 60, because um, that's the way that this kind of a uh, you know bureaucratic work works. That's like that's what a 10-year guy typically is making at 60 at that point. So I just average it out and say it's going to be 50k for 10 years. Now, if I have an opportunity to go in into civilian line of work and it's in something this person did, and God forbid, why do you have a 120k worth of debt if you didn't have an opportunity to go somewhere other than a government job? You, you've overpaid for your education. I'm sorry to say that, but you did. But now we have to deal with the situation you've created. So if you did, and... um I don't know. You uh, you could start at sixty and go up to eighty, and you would make an average of seventy. Well, your spread is twenty thousand dollars. Twenty thousand dollars over ten years is two hundred thousand dollars. The government will suck down about forty percent of it. Um, So now you're back to a hundred and twenty-year break-even on the deal. So anything over that seventy-k potential. In that particular way that you'd run the numbers, you'd be better off in a civilian line of employment because you're going to end up ahead on the money. Anything with a spread minus taxes that equals the same, well, you could take the government job if that's what you want to do more. I think what you need to do, though, with $120,000 of debt is you need to just get malicious and kill it. You're eating rice and beans, beans and rice, for the next three or four years, like Dave Ramsey says, and you're killing that debt. That's the only thing you're paying for. You're living in a tent if you have to. You're delivering pizzas, you're delivering newspapers, you're working odd jobs, um, you're working three or four jobs, you're getting rid of that debt because it's going to own you for the rest of your life if uh, if you don't do something about it. That, that's, but personally, if you're going to get a rather low-paying, pay- and that was your words, job in a government sector and it cost you 120k for your degree, either you, one, went to a school that was way over caliber for your line of work, or two, you lived on your student loans and you paid for a hell of a lot more than books, tuition, and housing with your student loans. Because there's... There's just no way that a person that's going to be going to work in a low-paying government sector should invest $120,000 in college. It, it just doesn't make any sense. So I'm not going to beat up on you too much. I just want others to learn from that error because it's, it's no doubt about it. That's an error. It was a mistake. A college degree is only an investment in your future if it has the potential for a career that outweighs the time and the money that goes into creating it. In other words, you might say that um, making a modification to your house is an investment, You know, doing an add-on, what have you. But if it actually ends up costing you $50,000 to do, and um, it only increases the value of your house $10,000, it's not an investment, it's a $40,000 loss. And for a lot of folks, student loans and the investment in a college education ends up being a loss. I hope that's not the case for you. That's what I'd say. you got to kill that thing off. But if you can't get that done, then you know what? If it's if it's not going to make you more money than the spread, take the government job, and at least in 10 years you'll be done with it. For a lot of people, 20 years later, they're still playing, paying student loan debt. They keep it around so long that you think it's a pet. Uh, let's go ahead and take the next question. All right, so um, the next question has to do with the interview show that we had on yesterday. guy wants to know if I agree with James on his assessment is a shotgun is the ultimate home defense weapon better really than a rifle better really than a pistol and do i share his views and the a- answer is absolutely yes i think a shotgun as james put it is a fight stopper and i think hands down um when it comes to lethality uh with gunshot wounds at home defense ranges with buckshot or slugs a shotgun tops the list uh, I have a couple other questions relating to this though. One was about, a couple of people asked me about this whole you know, tactical shotgun approach uh, with heat shields and James comments, you know, you probably don't need a heat shield it's really not functional. And avoiding giving a defense, at- a prosecuting attorney any additional ammunition if you happen to live in the wrong state or the wrong city or in- be in the wrong situation. And people say, well I should be able to do whatever I want to my shotgun. You should be able to do whatever you want to your shotgun. I agree with you. But being right and winning are two Different things, and I want to tell you a story real quick about this. About I watched, I watched a lot of true crime stuff, you know, actual courtroom stuff, jury interview stuff like that. I was into that for a number of years. I remember one case where a man accidentally shot. His son, God forbid, with a uh, twenty-two rifle, scopes twenty-two rifle, shot him from, I believe it was about 15 feet in the chest. The bullet happened to go through the ribs and into the heart and killed this kid. Um, and the man seemed just totally destroyed by it. He was accused of doing it intentionally, of this being a murder covered up as an accident. He was exonerated and cleared. One of the jurors that thought he was guilty said that he picked up the rifle, they were allowed to examine it, and he looked through the scope. And it was so shaky when he looked through the scope and so hard to focus, he couldn't see how anybody would shoot anybody in the chest by accident, that you would have to be skilled and you would have to be very deliberate to shoot somebody in the chest. That made me swallow hard hearing that man say that. Now, fortunately, the 11 other members of that jury were not ass clowns. But when I say that some people on juries are people that are too stupid to get out of jury duty that really shouldn't be there and don't want to be there, this is the guy I'm talking about. God forbid you get 12 people that dumb on a jury. Um... It could happen if it was just an accident. And the story was that the man was holding the gun cradled in his arm... And it, it had an accidental discharge. And it was a very compelling case by the defense, and there was no motive and no reason for this. And uh, I, I don't even really know why it was prosecuted, but it was, because you got the wrong prosecutor, or wrong law enforcement people, whatever. That's just a statement that things can happen. So that's why, you know, my advice is do what you want with your shotgun, but uh, think hard about things like bayonet lugs, heat shields that have no real practical purpose. That was James' point. And I'm saying. You know what? If you use a, a Remington 870 that looks like a bird gun uh, with the proper loadings for uh, home defense, the bad guy's just as dead. None of that stuff makes the bullets or the, or the slugs or the, uh, the the buckshot come out any faster. So it doesn't give you any advantage, and it gives a prosecutor with a hard-on an advantage. But in the end, do what you want to do with it. It's, it's just an opinion that people have. And one guy asked me, he says, I have a pistol grip and a flashlight on my shotgun. Do you think that goes over kind of your criteria. The flashlight, no. Uh, James mentioned he keeps a light on his gun. I think the light is actually good to your defense. It allows you to ensure your target. So it's a practical thing that makes sure that you're not shooting someone when you don't have to. Because nobody really wants to shoot anybody unless you're a little bit twisted in the head. right? So we want to avoid that. So if you can avoid shooting somebody, um, a light is a really good way to make that happen. Uh, it's a good way to make sure that you know, you're sure of your target. So a light, I don't know. Pistol grip. I'll tell you how I feel about that personally. I think that it might get used, but it's probably easily defendable um, because it was a weapon for home defense. Now you're into that realm, though, the weapons for home defense. Um, the other thing about it, though, is I just don't think that they're as good a weapon uh, when you put a pistol grip on a shotgun. They're harder to control. I think if you really want a, ta- a shotgun to be useful in tactical situations in the home, a short stock is probably, you're better off with it. Uh, it's going to be much easier to control, um, especially if you have to make more than one shot. So practically speaking, I think a fighting shotgun is better uh, off with stock, but I wouldn't call that on the lines of, you know, a bayonet. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about when I say don't go overboard. Uh, So those are my thoughts and follow-up on that. Uh, Next person asked me, can you put water up in mylar bags? Will will it be safe if you put water in mylar bags? Will the water go bad or anything? This is something I keep getting the question about. Look, folks, water doesn't go bad unless something gets into it or something was already in it. If you put water, clean water, in a clean container with a lid on it, a year from now, it will be fine. Two years from now, it will be fine. It may taste a little bit bland or plain, but it's not going to go bad. So you don't need to preserve water. Please don't think that you do if you have a good clean water source. Now, rotating it is a good idea. Infections can happen, so you want to make sure that you're not allowing that happen. You want to use food grade. But my thoughts on mylar, No. Plain and simple. Um, Let's say you put up a couple hundred gallons of Mylar water in your storage facility. Um, Mylar is easily pierced or ripped or torn. Not only could you lose a lot of your water... I don't know how big of a bag you're talking about here either. But not only could you lose a lot of your water, it could do a lot of water damage to whatever else is stored in that area. So I wouldn't personally recommend putting water in mylar. It would make... I'd make a point of putting it into hard, food-grade plastic. Many containers uh, like that can be gotten for free if you check with local um, restaurants and retail outlets that throw those things away. And a lot of them may have like kind of a smell in them, and pickles, forget it. I, I've never been able to get pickle smell out. But, for instance, I've gotten uh, five-gallon buckets that, that had icing in them, Then icing smell, and soaking them in about a half a box, a small box, half a box of baking soda and water uh, for a week. And then uh, dumping that out pretty much took out all the, uh, the icing smell uh, and made them very suitable for use for storage. So there's a lot of stuff out there. Mylar, anything that can be easily pierced, it's not really where you want your water. Now, if you wanted to you know, have a few little, like, create-your-own, um, like, juice box things of water, small ones, I guess. Uh, but, again, water's so important, and plastic containers aren't that expensive, uh, food-grade plastic Plastic containers are really the way to go there. And I think with that, we're at 40 minutes. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's show. I had one more question, but as I look at it, and and, uh, meter my distance to the office now um, I really don't have time to do that question today so we'll put it off to another day maybe I'll throw it in as an adjunct uh, tomorrow or the next day but uh, hopefully it's been a good show for you hopefully some of the new things that I'm adding and doing will uh, will keep making the show better and keep it interesting so that it's not just always me lecturing on one subject for 40 minutes a day um, I know a lot of you guys love that but uh, you know I've covered I bet you I've covered at least 150 topics in 250 shows. So there's there's only so much I can do before I get really redundant, and I don't want to be, you know, no insult, insulting or anything. I don't want to be like Dave Ramsey. Um, you know, it's a, it's a one shot thing. Everybody that calls in and asks a question basically gets the same answer. That's because it's the right answer. But I, I don't want to be giving you one right answer. I want to be helping you find your own answers to your own situations in life to make sure that you keep on. Living that better life if times get tough or even if they don't and because of that i'll keep adding and changing things up and i wanted to note something i was on a radio show last night um, uh, with a guy named dusty dave on a a network called the american voice.com and uh, apparently archives are not immediately available on that network as soon as the archive becomes available um, i will uh, make it available now here's something i want to throw out to my listeners Last night after I got done with the interview, the owner of the network i had been listening in. He came on the phone with me and said, Hey, Jack, uh, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, Sure. He asked me if I'd be interested in doing maybe a show there once a week. And, um... I don't know if I'm going to do that or not. I'm going to definitely talk to him about it. I'd like your opinion of it. I want to tell you that the American Voice has some shows like um, American Freedom Radio. Uh, A lot of the other places that I've done some interviews on that are out there. Alex Jones, you know, is tame compared to some of this stuff, all right? But that doesn't mean that there's not a place there for a good, solid, grounded, down-to-earth show. I'd like to know if you'd be interested in me having a show on a network like that. I want to say right up right up front. It will not take away from the five-day-a-week format of the Survival Podcast. So it would be in addition to it. But I'm interested in what you listen to it and what you like. And what it would do is give me a call-in number and a bridge and a weekly show where I could take your calls live on the air. Um, I've also been asked about considering doing some satellite television that would be for the free satellite band stuff. Um, love to hear what you think about that too. So folks, let me know. Would you like to see me on uh, that radio network? If so, let me know. If not, let me know. Please do me a favor with this. I don't want to debate about this in in the blog. Send me an email. Jack at the and Just let me know what you think about that. Let's not have a big comment discussion about I don't like them because. Because you know what, folks? Um, don't judge. Uh, a person or a company or a, a radio station based on one show, and that's what happens in a lot of these situations. A the guy tunes in to one show to a five minute piece of it, and here's something that doesn't sound like what he's involved with. He goes, Hey, these guys are all nuts. I'll tell you what, I listen to some content, they've got some good shows on there, and some people are out there, you know, but there's a market for that stuff. But I also think a lot of people in that space could benefit from practical, this is what you do, rather than just this is just what you bitch about. So I'm considering that. Like your input again, please do it by email. And with that, I'll sign off. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. And you can holler, it really doesn't matter, because it all gets bad.